The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. It is good to have you here this morning. If you are new here this morning, if you're new online with us, it's a great day for your first day as we are at the very beginning of a series of messages through one of the most well-known poems of all time. We call the 23rd Psalm, The Lord is My Shepherd Psalm. And one of my goals in this series is for this psalm to become background music, or maybe we call it like a theme song for our lives. When I was growing up, we used to watch... The Brady Bunch, and we all knew the Brady Bunch theme song. Here's the story of a lovely lady who was bringing up three very lovely girls. And what happened? That's the beginning of the show. And what happens at the end of the show? You hear the same song, da 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 da, da right? Or Gilligan's Island. Even if you weren't born in the '60s, you knew Gilligan's Island, right? The just say right back in the year at tale tale faithful, faithful trip that started from this right, right? And how's it? How's the show end? Da, 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 that kind of thing, right? And so, so what if Psalm 23 could become kind of a theme song for our lives? So when we wake up in the morning, the theme song plays. The Lord my shepherd, I shall not want. You know, it's kind of like, okay, for something like that, okay? Or at the end of the day, when you go to bed, you're thinking, um, you know, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters, or maybe even more powerful is when you're in the middle of a day and it's really stressful and something unusual happens that just shocks you and you feel like, I can't handle this. This is way beyond me. The theme song plays. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down. So one of my goals for us then is to be able to memorize this as a... Uh, congregation as we go through this series. To help us do that, would you read this out loud with me, and then we'll repeat it again after that. But let's read this together um, with me, Psalm 23, verse 1 and 2. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Boy, that's good, isn't it? Let's try it one more time. This time, if you want to close your eyes and, and try it, that'd be great. Um, let's do Psalm 23, verses 1 and 2. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. There's a strong draw, 
a strong attraction for all of us to Psalm 23 and certainly to this second verse, this draw for rest. He makes me lie down in green pastures. We're a tired people, aren't we? Monster Energy Drinks did the research on Americans recently, said 60% of Americans report to feeling more fatigued now than they've ever felt. 60% say that they feel permanently sapped of energy. 59% confess their fatigue makes them feel disjointed and unfocused at times, and just a little bit more sleep never is enough. Now, I quickly admit this is probably not the most unbiased study ever done. It was done by Monster Energy Drinks, after all. But isn't it a commentary, the fact that there is such a company called Monster Energy Drinks, and it is doing pretty well? You know, there's a market for that, because we are tired people. I think we in Washington are tired people. We're busy people. You know, there's a sign that, signs that you may have a hard time being resting, that that you may have a hard time um, because you're so busy. For instance, are you always, do you feel like you're always in a hurry? Do you feel like you're constantly checking your phone or email? Do you have to get sick before you take time off? When you relax, do you feel guilty? Does your family usually refer to you as the occupant? When you go to the back-to-school meetings, are you not quite sure which child is your child? You may be pretty busy. I, I think another part of our fatigue is deeper than that, though. It's responsibility fatigue. How many of you, it's not just the number of activities, it's the amount of responsibility you care. I don't know how moms do it. I don't know how doctors do it. You know, I don't know how military people do it sometimes. It's not like, you know, the Ukrainian war says, let's take a weekend off. You know, I don't know how those of you who are working in so many of our government jobs around here do it. You know, it's not like people say, okay, let's not come in the border this day. Or, you know, or the, it's not that like the Russians or the, Soviet, or, the, or, the, uh, or the Chinese are saying, hey, it's summer, no espionage this summer. Let's just have an espionage-free summer and just go on vacation. No, you all carry responsibility and it doesn't stop. But I think a deeper fatigue even than that is the guilt fatigue that people carry. You've hurt somebody, you've hurt them deeply, and you carry a weight as a result of that. And, this, and you can deny it, you can hope it goes away. David, King David in the Old Testament after committing adultery said his bones just wasted away because of guilt. Shepherds point out that it's no accident that God parallels sheep with humans because we have so much in common. And one of the things that we have in common is sheep are restless beings. They get weary. Knowing this inclination, God says of the good shepherd, he he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. We're thirsty for that, aren't we? In fact, some of you are saying, I think I could fall asleep right now. It's sermon time. It's really good sleeping time right now. Um, So we're going to talk about today, how, how do we learn to rest in the good shepherd? I want to quickly point out that the ultimate power behind this passage is because it's ultimately about Jesus. 
when Jewish boys went to synagogue and were taught about Messiah as, as they were growing up, they were taught, among other things, that Psalm 22, Psalm 23, Psalm 24 were about the Messiah to come. So when Jesus stands and speaks and he says, I am the good shepherd, the Jewish people, and this crowd was probably all Jewish, was saying, is he claiming to be the good shepherd? Is he claiming Psalm 23? And we find it very helpful because in verse 27, he says, my sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. Part of the reason I want this to become a theme song for New Life is because we are about following Jesus. And a lot of people wonder, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? What's it mean to follow Jesus? And when you ask that question, I want you to be just automatically go back and, and chew on Psalm 23. To follow Jesus means he is your good shepherd, you are his sheep, you hear his voice, and follow. And today we're going to talk about hearing his voice and following to green pastures, to still waters, to finding rest for our souls. Anybody need that? Yeah, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would speak to our souls today. There's so much more here than I'm, than I'm capable of delivering, and I, I pray that you would begin a conversation with each person in this place, refresh a conversation that would lead each of them to rest in you. Through Christ we pray, amen. D can't deal with this everything comprehensively, but, but um, by the way, if you're following along in the notes online, we are basically eliminating the first point, and we've just we're going to jump immediately to the practical steps. How do we find rest in the Good Shepherd? And the first thing that I, would, that, I would, that, that, that I would say is very clear is we must find our identity in the good shepherd, in the good shepherd's voice. If there's one thing that's clear about, uh, about Psalm 23, it is the sheep is identified with his shepherd. It's in his voice, the, 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 the psalm is in his, the voice of the sheep but his focus is the good shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not. He makes me lie down. He leads me beside still. The focus is not the sheep. It's not the world. It's the good shepherd. There's so much conversation today about identity, identity, identity. And I want to suggest to you that the beginning place for rest or unrest is the question, how you answer the question, who gives you your identity? Where does your identity come from? Does it come from your voice or does it come from the voice of the shepherd? Um, Rousseau has had an amazing impact on the world since the 18th century and, and the Enlightenment and, and its influence on us. Rousseau said, among other things, um, that essentially he said, man is born free and everywhere put in chains. Now, when he said that at the time, people were like, what in the world does that mean? That is just crazy. We don't understand what that means. Today, that's gospel in America. What he means by that is nobody can tell you your truth. The only person who can define who you are is you. You have to listen to your voice. I saw an advertisement for some new Cinderella movie, and the thing that they were praising about it was that Cinderella finds her own voice. 
do you really, I, I want to submit to you the reason that so many people are fatigued and don't find rest for their souls is because they think their identity is found in their own voice. The idea of Rousseau is you're born free, but it's the other people's voices that put you in chains. So get rid of the voices of family. Get rid of the voices of church. Get rid of the voices of of, of society influencing on who, who you should be and, and what is your truth. No, the only voice that matters is your voice. And then when you get your voice, you'll be free. Really? If, you're, if my voice determines my identity, that means my voice is in my performance. It is in my accomplishments. It is in my job, my career. You ever know ministers who are really insecure because their security is in their identity as a preacher and therefore they feel good about themselves as long as the church is growing or they really want big churches and you kind of get this idea that their identity is in like having a lot of people hear their voices. COVID has been really difficult for ministers whose voice is in their performance because... Most churches are not cooperating um, with, 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 with that. But what an insecure thing. If your voice is in your accomplishments, then you always have to work. Why are you driven to work? Because I have to accomplish more. I got to perform more. I gotta, it, what do people think about me? What do people say about me? For some people, their voice, for a lot of people, if you're not careful, your voice is in like what you own. How many people, your car is kind of what your identity is in your, I mean, you, there's an image that you like to project. In fact, Car dealers tell us that, you know, the people buy their cars much based on what they th- how they think they feel they look while driving that car. Do you want your image in your car? You know what my image would be if my image is in my car? I am a minivan with 250,000 miles on it. Okay, that is not like the most masculine image you'll find out there. I kind of like it, to be honest with you. I think it has a good 100,000 miles left in it, to be honest with you. But, but, you know, but think about it. If your identity is in your car, you got to keep that cool car. You got to keep that. As soon as you buy that car, it's going the wrong direction. Your identity is in your house. How it looks, what size it is, how it compares to others. Your identity is in your performance. Do you want your identity to be in your performance? I don't want my identity in my performance because... My performance isn't always so good. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7 says, the good I want to do, I don't do. The evil I don't want to do, I do. A wretched man that I am. Paul's inner voice said, my performance is embarrassing. My performance stinks. You really want your inner voice? Is it any wonder people have so little rest because their voice is in, their, their, their identity is in their voice. Maybe your identity is in your history. A lot of people, their identity is in their history. And the problem with that is if your history is, is a great history, then you'll be proud. Oh, look at my, look at who I came from. Or if your history is one that's painful or difficult, it'll make you angry. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And his first invitation to you and me is to come to him for identity. Let him be the one who defines 
who you are. Galatians chapter 3, verse 27. By the way, this is upper story, lower story thing. For those of you who've been around here for a while, lower story says we identify ourselves in the secular apart from God. Upper stories is God's voice. It's God's narrative. It's God at work all the time. Lower story, there's no rest. This is what an upper story voice says of you. For those who are baptized into Christ Jesus have been clothed with Christ. In baptism, we are identifying ourselves with Jesus Christ. Therefore, there is neither Jew or Greek, slave or free, male nor female, You are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are the seeds of Abraham. You are Abraham's seed. You are children of Abraham. God says, you are my child. Where's your identity? My identity is not that I am white. It's not that I'm a man. It's not that I'm a husband. It's not that I'm a father. It's not that I'm a preacher. It's not that I'm middle class, low class, no class, you know. It's not in who my parents were or my grandparents were. My identity is Jesus Christ. Now, it doesn't mean that I'm, that I'm no longer any of those things. Yeah, I'm still a husband. I'm still a father. I'm still a preacher. But I, do you see the difference? I don't find my identity. It's not who I am. It's not my performance. But if your identity is in your voice, you're going to be exhausted because your voice will never satisfy your soul. If your identity is in Christ, then your identity is you're made in the image of God. Your identity is that you are known by God. John 10, 3, again, Jesus says, the shepherd, the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. I'm terrible with names. I'm terrible with names. But God knows your name. God knows your middle name. God knows the middle letter of your middle name. God, think about that. Of all the people in the world, God knows your name. That's your identity. Good shepherd. You're loved by the good shepherd. He lays down his life for his sheep. He sent his son for you. You're cared for by God above all creation. Did you know that? James 1:18 For by his own choice he gave us birth by the word of truth so that we would be kind of first fruits of all creation of all creatures. People in the lower story, they see all creatures are the same. People who see from God's image through God's eyes, God has made you the first, the superior. You are above all. The mountains are impressive. God's more impressed with you. The seas and the oceans, those are huge. Those are impressive. He's more, he's more, he cares more about you than he does about the animals, about whether they're extinct or, or endangered. It's why David says in Psalm 8, this shepherd looks at the sky and he says, when I observe your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you set in place, what's a human being that you remember him, the son of man that you look after him? David's looking up at the skies and thinking, man, Lord, you are so big. And David's voice says, I'm so small. In this world, I am so insignificant. And the voice 
of the Good Shepherd says, oh no, you are everything to me. And you know the great thing about being identified by the Good Shepherd's voice? His value of you is based on his character and not on yours. There's nothing you can do to make him love you and care for you more. There's nothing you can do to make him care for you, to value you less. You matter to him. So the next time outside voices devalue you, you can say, the Lord is my shepherd. I don't have to work so hard to impress people. The next time hurtful voices from parents or kids at school reject you, the next time failure voices beat you up and make you feel hopeless, the next time confused voices inside you make you wonder who you are, you ignore the inner voice, which the Bible tells us seems right to a person but leads to death. And you listen to the voice of the good shepherd who says, you are priceless to me. The Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down. He leads me beside. He defines who I am. I've spent a lot of time on that because I think it's huge. I think it's the reason why many people in our generation do not feel rested ever. Second, step is that we need to enjoy what God has already provided now. We need to find satisfaction in the green pastures today. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Shepherds tell us that that is a picture of a perfectly contented sheep, not only well-fed but also safe, free from fears, Shepherds tell us that their number one agenda every morning is to find good, um, f find good pasture, green pasture for their sheep so their sheep are able to eat and lie down and rest. God's agenda every day is to provide for you and me enough so we can rest in Him. The question is, can we be content in that we have to learn contentment. Martin Luther called contentment the highest art of Christianity next to faith itself. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 4, 6, better to be content with the little God provides than to restlessly chase insatiable cravings for more. Paul says in the New Testament, if we have food and clothing with this, we will be content. Can you be content with food and clothing. Can you be, God's gonna lead you to green pastures. He's gonna lead you to still waters. Can you be content with the pastures he's led you to? Can you be content with the still waters he's given, provided for you? Or will you be like those restless sheep? See, the thing about sheep is they get restless. They wanna find their own. They want to stray from the shepherd. They're not content with what the shepherd provides. Reminds me of the story that Jewish friends tell about the Jewish mom who's walking along the beach with her son. And they're walking along the beach and this huge wave comes up and captures the son and drags him out into the waters and she can't find him and so she's crying out to God, God, save my son. He's my only son. He's my only child. Bring me back my son. I can't see him. I can't, I want to lose my son. And then this huge wave comes back in and there's her son 
spitting up water, but no worse for wear. And she looks at her son. She looks at God. She looks at her son. She looks at God. She looks at her son. She looks at God again, and she says, God, he had a hat. <laughs> isn't that, I just love that, because isn't that a great picture of our humanity? You know, God leads us to green pastures, but Lord, I'd like a hat. Lord, could you do just a little bit better than that? It's called greed, the desire for more. It's called envy. The difference between envy and greed, envy, greed can't be happy because I want more. Envy can't be happy because other people have more than others. And maybe it's not even me that, that maybe I'm content with where I have, but it's like, I can't be happy as long as there's somebody else that has more than somebody else. And Satan knows how to feed that. The Apostle Paul says in, Rome, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 12, in any and all circumstances, I've learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need, whether the gas prices are $5 a gallon or $2 a gallon, whether inflation is zero or 8%. I can do all things through Him who gives me strength. When discontentment comes, and it will always, there will always be a reason to be discontent. I'm I'm not happy with $5 a gallon gas. Um, I am not happy with inflation and how difficult it is and how it's going to affect people who are poor and already struggling to eat. But the question is, can we look at what God is providing now and not look at the provision around us but look to the shepherd and say, the Lord is my shepherd. He will lead me to green pastures. If I have food and clothing today, I can be content. Ecclesiastes 4, 6 says, better than one handful with rest than two handfuls with effort and a pursuit of the wind. 1 Timothy 6, 8, if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Remember that old, I don't know what you call it, this old, it's not really a poem, a limerick, I guess. Two men looked through prison bars, one saw mud, the other stars. When we are tempted to be discontent, oh, it doesn't mean that we don't try to change things for the better if we can, but in the depths of our soul, we are allowed to rest that our good shepherd will provide for us. Augustine, St. Augustine, one of his most famous lines is that we have restless souls and our souls will not, our souls are made for Lord, for God, and they will not find rest until they find rest in Him. Your soul is not going to find rest in greed a little bit more. It's not going to find rest in envy. Not going to be happy until everybody's the same. It'll only find rest in the Good Shepherd. Finally, we find rest through discipline of resting. He makes me 
to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. How does God make us rest? How does he lead us to quiet waters? Have you lived long enough to realize there's a difference between working or between not working and resting? How many of you have ever gone on vacation, come back from vacation in need of another vacation? Because you are more tired after the vacation than before you went. You take some time off, but you're more tired after the time off than you were when you began. If there ought to be a rested generation, it ought to be ours because COVID shut everything down, at least for a few months. You'd think that we would be rested because we don't have the work that we had. We don't have all the activities that we had, and yet people are more restless, we're more restless than ever. Why? Because there's a difference between not working, between inactivity and finding rest for your souls. Jesus does not say, go find rest for your souls. He says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And the question is, are you willing to go to Jesus to find rest? That's different than going to a book or a television show or to sports or vacation alone to find rest. We find rest as we learn to rest and find rest in Scripture, in Bible study. Did you know that? This picture of Psalm 23, he makes me to lie down in green pastures, is the picture of sheep that have grazed and then they lie down and for those of you who are going to be grossed out just be prepared to be grossed out they lie down and they regurgitate their food and chew the cud they lie down so they can just ruminate on that grass over and over and over to get all the possible nutrition out of it I am so thankful for the number of people. We have more people committed to reading through the Bible or to reading the Bible every day than we've ever had before. And next year, we're going to even do better. This summer, you can do that with us. But, but, but there may be times when you're like, I just didn't get a whole lot out of that today. And I can tell you, for me, the danger is I want to graze over the grass and then move on. When God would say, stop, lie down in green pastures and ruminate. For instance, yesterday, um, there was this verse. So sometimes that means, for instance, just stop, read a verse, and say, I'm going to focus on that verse this, t today. I ran across this verse yesterday, Ecclesiastes 10.1. As dead flies cause even perfume to stink, so a little foolishness spoils great wisdom and honor. Is that good? You can spend your whole life with great wisdom and doing honorable things and just a little bit of foolishness can make it stink like that. Boy, I chewed on that all day long yesterday and just thought, oh man, Lord, help me to remember. And, and as I allowed that to ruminate, it's just like, oh, that, that's rich. Um, there's a tool that some have used. So rather than just like reading the Bible, you're saying, how do I read the Bible to get the most out of it? Try something called specca. Um, a, a friend of mine came up with this. So you read a passage of Scripture, and then you ask a series of questions. Is there a sin to confess? Is there a promise to, 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 to claim? Is there an example to follow? Or sometimes I like to say, is there an encouragement to find? I won't chew on the encouragement. 
Is there a command, command to obey? Is there knowledge? No, not another K. Knowledge to keep. There you go. No? Isn't that funny? Okay, I've just lost my mind. Okay, is there an action? Is there a sin to confess? Yes, I'm not spelling right. My mind is, is there an action to take? Is there an application to make? So let's think this through. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Is there a sin to confess? Yeah, sometimes I've not followed. Sometimes, Lord, am I, how am I not following you as the good shepherd? Lord, how am I not being thankful? I need to be, I want to confess a lack of gratitude. I want to confess envy. I've had this envy and this, I've not been content in this thing and I should have been. Is there a promise to keep? Yeah, he promises rest for my soul. How can I have, Lord, help me to, help me to claim, help me to find my rest in you. Is there an example to follow? Well, Jesus is the good shepherd and Jesus rested. Jesus went aside and took time in private, went to deserted places to be alone with the Father. Is there a command to obey? Yeah, what does it mean for me to obey the good shepherd, to hear his voice and to follow today or do something like that with that? Is there knowledge? I still don't know what I've done. Anyway, is there knowledge for me? Is there knowledge for me to keep? Um, and is there action for me? What next step do I need to take? Here's the next step. What about using Specca this week? What about as you're reading the Bible? What about taking time to just to take one verse? Okay, this week I am going to take one verse a day and just meditate on it, chew on it all day long. What action are you going to take? Um, Specca. My friend who uh, came up with this said they put knowledge, they wanted an, across, an acronym that used um, a K that used knowledge at the end because our temptation is to make it first if we're not careful. Second, another way that we develop a discipline to rest is Sabbath, weekly Sabbath. Isn't it strange that when God gave the Ten Commandments, he had to put one, number four in there is Sabbath, is rest. If I'm only gonna summarize with all the commandments with 10, I put, I put you better work in there, but he doesn't. He says you better rest in there. It kind of is a buildup to faith, isn't it? Showing us that we're saved by faith, not by works. That's a whole different thing. Um, I, I read this past week. Did you know that back in the uh, 18th century, cargo ships were regularly sinking because they were overloaded with cargo? Um, These ships were actually called coffin ships. So many sailors were dying on these ships. Inspired by... Uh, William Wilberforce, actually, and Christian biblical values of human life, a, biblical, a, 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 a British parliamentarian by the name of um, Samuel Plimsoll took action. And in 1873, under Plimsoll's influence, British Parliament passed what they called the Merchant Shipping Act that required all ships to have a line painted around their hulls called the Plimsoll Line. To this day, ships display the plimsoll marks, which show kind of the load level that a cargo ship can handle. And it shows if a cargo ship is getting too overloaded because it's too deep in the water and therefore not safe. Wouldn't it be wonderful if God gave us a plimsoll line to say, this is how much you can take, but 
if you, if you take this much load, you're going to be overloaded if you go beyond this. Do you realize God did give us a plimsoll line when he created the world in six days and on the seventh he rested as an example for us? Do you realize that God gave us a plimsoll line in the Ten Commandments when he said, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy? Jesus said, Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath. God is saying with Sabbath, this is all that you can take. You take one day where you rest, worship me, change your pace, find rest for yourself. If you don't, you're going to be overloaded. Is it a coincidence? Is it any accident that as our world becomes more secular? You know, there was a time in our nation when using Sunday as a day of rest, a day of worship, was just kind of normal even though it was just very cultural for some people, maybe not godly oriented, it was still part of the culture that there's like this one day that was set aside to be different from the others. And is it it any coincidence that as our world has become increasingly secular and people have said, all all seven days are mine. I'm gonna treat all seven days like like they're my days. And we've, that, that we've found ourselves increasingly overloaded. And people are increasingly angry and stressed and frustrated and restless, tired. Let me encourage you. What do you do to lie down in green pastures once a week? On Sunday, after the service, are you a fast food eater spiritually? Just kind of eat and let's get it over with and get out and go on to the next thing. Or do you take it and say and talk with somebody around you? What did you pick up? What did you hear God say today? What did you hear God, what did you find encouraging today? Boy, that preacher stinks again. Yeah, I got that. Okay, that's good. That's encouraging. Let's move on. Uh, but what did, what did you hear God say? What action should you take? How can you share this with somebody else? And you ruminate on it. You bring it back up and you chew on it. And God gives you nourishment and rest. But it takes a discipline of Sabbath. Ultimately, though, the good shepherd gives us rest by freeing our souls from the burden of guilt. The good shepherd has died for his sheep so our sins could be forgiven, so you could be clean before him. If you don't know Jesus Christ, I think Augustine is right, is that our souls are made for God and they will be restless until they find rest in him. You have to do something with your guilt. And you can carry it with your own voice, you can talk about it with your own voice, or you can surrender it to the voice of your good shepherd who's died for you to wipe away your sins, to start a new life with your identity in him, your provision from him, your rest in his presence as you read the Bible daily and worship weekly. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would speak to us and help us to find rest for our souls this day. It is through Christ I pray. Amen.